So I want to talk about these um, two qualities which we just mentioned, the looking closely at the patterns of our own experience on the one hand and developing new ways of being on the other. And I want to do that in the context of a topic which is often quite confusing and challenging in uh, Buddhist practice particularly, but I think in most forms of practice. And that is, that it has to do with the notion of the self. And sometimes in Buddhist practice we hear there's no self. Sometimes we hear language about developing your true self or your Buddha nature or um, we look to Western psychology which seems to emphasize um, the importance of developing a strong self, an authentic self, and yet we hear, okay, well, the real task is to get rid of the self in Buddhism. You know, and I was talking with a friend yesterday or two days ago and she was saying she was at a retreat where there was a very strong Buddhist teaching about not-self. And one young man got so confused about whether there's a self or not a self that he, he had to leave the retreat. It was, it was actually too hard for him. He just got so confused and whatever the um, teacher and others said wasn't helpful. And he just said he, just, he, couldn't, he couldn't stand the inner pressure of not being clear whether he, there was a self or not. And, and so it's a, very, it's a very confusing area. I just want to admit that. So I want to, I want to explore this in a few ways. Um, so I, I found, for example, uh, first of all, we find across different traditions, different people say different things. So some of you know in um, Hindu tradition, there's a very strong emphasis on the self or the true self. Uh, I found a passage from Ramana Maharshi, one of the great teachers of the 20th century, uh, he talks about the true self. Uh, he says, self-inquiry is the means, the only direct one, to realize the unconditioned absolute being you really are. One's own shelf, self, which is ever shining as I, the uh, one undivided and pure reality. So he uses the language of self. And um, Carl Jung, the psychologist, talks about, says the goal of all of our um, inner work is what he calls the development of the self. He uses, a, sometimes people use capitals S, self. And that's what Carl Jung does. He says, there is no linear evolution to the self. There is only a circumambulation of the self, coming to greater wholeness. Um, and it's, it's very confusing because in Buddhism, there's this core teaching about not-self. And even within the teachings of the Buddha, it can be confusing. Um, this, there's a famous passage that I want to read to you where the a Buddha himself was asked by a, um, a wandering yogi named Vachagata. He was asked, he said, Buddha, is there a self? And the Buddha more or less didn't give an answer indicating that there either was a self or not a self. So here, let me read this to you. And I'm, I'm trying to do this to have some a possible initial confusion that I will hope to resolve. <laughs> so. Then the wanderer Vachagata approached the Buddha and said to him, How is it now, Master Gotama? Is there a self? When this was said, the Blessed One was silent. He didn't answer him. Then, Master Gotama, is there no self? 
A second time, the Blessed One was silent. Then the wanderer, Vachagata, rose from his seat and departed. (laughs) Not long after the wanderer, Vachagata, had left, the Venerable Ananda sent to the Blessed One, Why is it, Venerable Sir, that when the Blessed One was questioned by the wanderer, Vachagata, he did not answer? And the Buddha responds, Hifananda, when I was asked by the wanderer Vachagata, is there a self? I had answered, there is a self. This would have been siding with those ascetics and Brahmins who are eternalists. Okay, so he's basically saying that, there, he's going to be saying that there are two extremes about the self, and I want to avoid b- both of them. One of them is to see this notion of there being a completely absolute independent self. He, and he says, I don't, want to, I don't want to encourage that. And if when I was asked by him, is there no self, I had answered there is no self, this would have been siding with those ascetics and Brahmins who are annihilationists, who think that there's there's totally no self whatsoever. Hifananda, when I was asked by the wanderer of Achagata, is there a self? I had answered there is a self. Would this have been consistent on my part with the arising of the knowledge that all phenomena are non-self? No, venerable sir. And if when I was asked by him, is there no self? I had answered, there is no self. The wanderer of Achigata, already confused, would have fallen into greater confusion, thinking it seems that the self I formerly had does not exist now. That's the end of the sutta. <laughs> so it's, um, um, that's, that could either help have things be clear or could lead to further confusion. But what we have the Buddha basically saying is that he's acknowledging that it's a very confusing area. And he's actually saying that it may be best to avoid these metaphysical concepts. And he says there are two extremes, that one of them has to do with thinking that there's this reified, absolute, independent self. And the other extreme is saying that there's totally nothing to the phenomenon of self. And in a way he's saying both are unsatisfactory. And he's suggesting a kind of a middle way. And I'm going to explore this in a less, um, mm, perhaps less, hopefully less confusing way by using a um, passage from a Zen teacher named Dogen. The Zen um, teachers always love passages like that from the Buddha because it, it helps to um, enter the territory of paradox where you know, you don't fix on either, either side. And so I want to uh, use as my um, sort of organizing um, structure for this talk another way to say the same thing in a more, maybe a more poetic way and maybe a way that's a little more accessible. This is what Dogen said. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by 10,000 things. So I, that, I, I know that would just clear it up. <laughs> it's always a decision point whether to give talks about the self and not self. So, but I decided. So, um, so what I want to do is actually to unpack uh, what Dogen said in three ways. And the first is to explore the idea that to, 
our practice is a lot about studying the self, studying the nature of the self as it appears in experience. That's the first. The second is that, and I'll, I'll reframe a little bit what Dogen said, that when we actually study the self in experience, there are ways that we go beyond the conventional conditioned self. So, so the first part is that a large part of our practice is to study the conditioned conventional self as it appears in our experience. And I'll say more about each of these. Secondly, we, when we, when we uh, study uh, our experience in that way, in a way we go beyond the conventional self. We open up to something deeper that's beyond the conditioning. And thirdly, that when we, when we deeply forget the self, paradoxically, we are most ourselves. That when we really forget that when we, another way to say it, when we go beyond self-consciousness and a fixed sense of self, in a way, paradoxically, we are most deeply ourselves and we most connect with others in the world. So that's a way of going into this territory, I think in a way that is um, maybe a little more, uh, one way, it's one way to unpack this very challenging territory. So first, uh, so I'll, I'll look at these in these three, three parts. So first, it's to, uh, is to see how our practice is in large part to study the con- conventional conditioned self. And that, that is in many ways to study what we were exploring before um, in, our, in our informal discussion, that we study our habits, that when we sit in meditation, we look very closely at experience. We study experience very closely. We could say that mindfulness is the close study of our experience. And in particular, we are on the lookout for, um, for places where we suffer, and we're particularly interested in seeing the links between suffering and any sense of self that comes up. So we look very carefully, for example, at... Um, when I'm suffering, where is there a self? We look, for example, as we were exploring last time, we look a lot at the, what we were calling the five difficult energies or the five hindrances. We look at where there's very strong desire. We study that really closely. And we see, okay, where's the sense of self there? You know, oh, I gotta have this. I gotta, I, I really need this particular experience, this food, this partner, this job. And we, we study that tendency of mind to really want something very much. Or we study, in the second difficult energy, we study the uh, quality of compulsive or strong aversion. And as we study this more, we start to see, oh, where is, that, where is the sense of self? Where is there more of a fixated sense of self, such as, uh, I don't want this to happen, or that person blamed me, and I'm getting suddenly myself is very, very big. And so we use these experiences as chances to study the self. Um, you know, for example, one of my um, very first, very strong experiences doing a retreat, uh, one of my first retreats, um, I think it was a two-week retreat, and I was mostly just feeling, at the beginning of the retreat, I was... Um, feeling 
like, well, yeah, I'm really going to just go deeply into emptiness and just have these wonderful transcendent experiences. And I actually tried to, really tried hard, I think overly hard to have these intense experiences. And basically I got sick. I got a cold and I was, um, my concentration uh, went pretty much away. And I was just sitting there in the meditation hall, sniffling and making sounds. And I started to get very self-conscious. I thought I was making a lot of sounds in the hall. I was getting self-conscious about, for example, about swallowing a lot, which sometimes happens in meditation retreats to some people. And I just was sitting there, um, having gone in initially thinking, oh, I'm just going to, I'm a really good meditator. I'm going to have these amazing experiences. And all of a sudden I had this cold and I was just sitting there sniffling, thinking I'm making so much noise. Everyone knows I'm a bad meditator. (laughs) And it just went on and on. And it was actually pretty hard because, uh, but it basically I was sitting there watching my self-images come up, you know, which were all about how I thought I was seen by others. And I got to study that really closely for like about 10 days. <laughs> like 15 hours a day. <laughs> and it was, it was actually pretty hard. And, you know, there was sometimes fear, but it was an amazing exploration of the whole nature of myself and how that was sort of framing um, experience. And as I did other retreats and studied, I got to see more closely how there was almost like a kind of self trying to control the experience, you know, and trying to fix experience. And just this invitation that we have in our practice, just to be present with what's happening. And then basically watch out for what's extra. What's, watch out for the compulsive desire. Oh, I really want this to happen when I meditate. Watch out for the compulsive aversion. Oh, this shouldn't be happening. I'm thinking too much. Bad thinking. No, I'm the problem. I'm, the, I'm just thinking too much. I'm, I'll never be a meditator. That's worth my salt. You know? And is this, any of this familiar? And so in that sense, we can use the, our mindfulness practice, just the invitation, just to be present with the breath. And of course, the learning comes from seeing the hundred or thousand ways that we can't be present with the breath. And we actually study our experience really, really closely. We start seeing, again, uh, the aspects of self. We start seeing the habits that we were talking about before. We start seeing the tendencies to want to control or the tendencies to blame or the tendencies to worry or the tendencies to judge or the tendencies maybe to judge others. You know, I'm sitting here in my meditation retreat and I would be really good if that person next to me wasn't sniffling. (laughs) You know, and... Maybe I, maybe I should move. Or maybe I should just tell the meditation teachers that this person is sniffling too much and be much better for that person to go to his or her room. You know? And we just get involved in these dramas, right? And, we, and the invitation, though, is to keep on studying, to keep on studying and see where there's fixation. And so in that sense, this, this crucial part of our practice is to study our habits, to study our patterns, to see what our personal... Uh, habits and patterns are, and in particular to see those which are connected with suffering. And so what I like to say often is that when we actually get interested, really deeply interested in in our own patterns of experience which are connected with suffering, 
our practice accelerates. When instead of just some, because sometimes in meditation we just, oh, I just want to have peaceful experience. Just be relaxed. Oh, just cool out from work or whatever. And, and that has its value. But there's, in, in a sense, this deeper value from really wanting to look at where I get caught, where I get stuck, seeing the patterns, seeing my habits, seeing all those more closely. And this is hard because it brings us into contact with areas where there is suffering. And so the study of the self that Dogen talks about is not completely easy. In fact, it's often not easy. You know, the experiences I was talking about, I was in touch with a lot of fear. It was scary to just keep on having these experiences where I would um, sit there and be on, I wanted, you know, I wanted to um, control my sniffles. I wanted to control not swallowing. And the fact of, and it, and it just set me up in this battle with myself, which sometimes we experience in meditation. And it's hard. It's really, it gets us in touch with areas where there's um, pain, where we sometimes feel lost. Um, where, to use a Buddhist technical term, we feel yucky. Uh, where, we, where we actually go into yucky territory. And this is part of studying the self. And we, because in a way, as we, as we study ourselves more closely, we actually start to see some of the, what we might call the more conditioned ways that we organize experience. Almost like some of the um, ways that we structure experience that are connected with suffering, such as blaming myself when something um, difficult happens or worrying. And we start to, we start to trace these um, patterns and start to look for more deeply at experience to see what their source is. And it usually takes us back to some way of having these deep beliefs that if I don't, if I don't uh, continually blame myself, I won't be any good. And it's actually, there are actually some weird beliefs that we have deep in our psyche. Has anyone noticed? <laughs> you know, where we might trace it back to really some deep conditioning that I can't really be myself and be loved. You know, so there's this, there's this very deep work that we do in studying the self, where we study the conditioned self, and it's, um, it's hard. It takes, it takes mindfulness, but it really leads to the second whole area, and this was, this was uh, brought out by uh, Nancy's comment, that the second area that Dogen points to is that, in a way, to study the self closely is to go beyond the conventional self. And, there, and it's to bring in other ways of being. And so that's, that, that's where Dogen said, to study the self is to forget the self. And so, for example, when we are practicing mindfulness, we actually learn to hang out more and more in a state of just being present with phenomena. And there may be very little self-consciousness at times. When I'm just with the breath, where is the self? When I'm just with a tree and just being present with a tree or the clouds, where is the self? And we, as we practice more and perhaps do retreats, we actually enter a space where there can be very little sense of self and very little self-consciousness. It's one of the reasons that retreats are helpful is that we don't have to be social. 
we can be in this space where we don't have to go through the usual social uh, niceties of saying hello and recognizing people when we pass them walking, but we can actually really focus in on experience. And as we do that, we can move to actually being, for sustained times, just being present with life, with our own experience, with very little sense of self. And then we start to, we, we continually look at, okay, where does a fixation of self come up? And we can study that. But we also, we also go into something that starts to bring out other ways of being. You know, that we can be with mindfulness, with presence, with a quality of open presence to what's there, which is, in a sense, going beyond the conventional self. Um, And there's this, again, to to go back to what we talked about just before the talk began, there's this very important way in which we can can understand our practice as both going into the um, nature of our conditioning and the nature of our habits, the nature of our patterns, and then also opening up to something that's uh, larger, that are new ways of being. And again, as I was saying, one of the ways that this is most brought out is by developing the qualities of mindfulness, but also the qualities of the heart. And there's a way in which as we go more deeply into experience, we have to develop a kind of a kindness and compassion for ourselves. That this is this is one of the resources that get, that gets developed. We open up to um, being more accepting of what we find in experience. Um, the teacher Tara Brock, who teaches in Washington D.C., has this book that probably many of you know called Radical Acceptance. And this is a, this very key aspect of this practice that as we look more carefully we come to see the ways that we blame or, or don't really um, accept certain parts of our experience. And we come to, to a kind of acceptance which is, um, goes along with changing those aspects which are leading to suffering. And so we bring in this quality of warmth, of kindness, of loving kindness, that gets stronger as we study the self. We can't really study the self very deeply without some compassion. You know? And that's why it's really important to develop, the, to develop that sense of heart, to develop uh, a greater loving kindness, to have that as a regular practice. It starts to uh, both make possible clearer seeing, but it starts to build this other resource, this other sense of knowing myself more and more as in my deeper nature <laughs> as this open, kind, wonderful presence. That's really what the Buddha and many of the teachers are talking to, and we come to know that more. And in a sense, for a while, we hold that along with also, yes, I'm this wonderful, loving, kind presence, and I also have some questionable habits. You know? And we hold them both. And, we, and they're really, it's really important to hold both. I don't think we can really work with the habits without this sense of kindness and warmth towards ourselves. And the third uh, aspect pointed to by Dogen, first to, to practice is to study the self. Second, to study the self is to forget the self. It's to go into a way of being where we're not so preoccupied by the fixations of the self. And then he said, thirdly, to forget the self 
is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. And I'm, I want to reframe that as to, as we move into this quality of forgetting ourselves, in a sense, we are most deeply ourselves. That we can manifest our own energy, our own gifts, our own presence more fully. And we also, in a way, can uh, connect with others and connect with the world. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says it in this way. In one of his poems, he has a line where he says, don't talk about love, just be yourself. Just be yourself and basically let it unfold. And of course, he's meaning being oneself, not in the habitual neurotic way, but more in a deeper way. Um, And it means having worked through some of that conditioning. There's this passage that I really love from E.E. Cummings, which which I read from time to time. He says, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. So there's a way in which, and this links up with the Western language of authenticity, that there's a way in which we can most deeply be ourselves, in a sense, when we've gone beyond the conventional sense of self. In the Taoist tradition, it's expressed as the sense of non-action, that the mature practitioner has a way of being able to act very fully in the world, but there's not the usual sense of self. I want to read, uh, let's see, I want to read one passage. This is, um, this is a passage from Chuang Tzu called The Woodcarver. And I think this gives that sense of, of a kind of mature action beyond the fixed sense of self. King the master carver made a bell stand of precious wood. When it was finished, all who saw it were astounded. They said it must be the work of spirits. The prince of Lu said to the master carver, what is your secret? King replied, I am only a work person. I have no secret. There is only this. When I began to think about the work you commanded, I guarded my spirit, did not expend it on trifles that were not to the point. I fasted in order to set my heart at rest. After three days fasting, I had forgotten gain and success. After five days, I had forgotten praise or criticism. After seven days, I had forgotten my body with all its limbs. By this time, all thought of you, of your highness, and the court had faded away. All that might distract me from the work had vanished. I was collected in the single thought of the bell stand. Then I went to the forest to see the trees in their own natural state. When the right tree appeared before my eyes, the bell stand also appeared in it, clearly beyond doubt. All I had to do was to put forth my hand and begin. If I had not met this particular tree, there would have been no bell stand at all. What happened? My own collected thought encountered the hidden potential in the wood. From this live encounter came the work which you ascribe to the spirits. And I think we know that, that sometimes when we actually feel most fully ourselves, there's very little self there. That when, can you think of a time when you've been so fully immersed in an activity that there's almost no sense of self? I was thinking of a few examples of this. Um, 
One of them came from, comes from sports. Uh, sometime in the 90s, there was a, uh, a National Basketball Association finals game that Michael Jordan was involved with. And he, ha he made, I think at one point, seven straight shots from, along, from the three-point distance. And he was just, it was almost as if he was, in sports they call this being in the zone, right? The sense of full action without sense of self, without self-consciousness. It's called being in the zone. And he did this. He, he made seven shots. And then as he was walking up after the seventh shot, he looked over to the uh, broadcasters and he went like this. <laughs> he held his hands as if he were saying, I don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> And, but it was interesting because it was actually some degree of self-consciousness and he missed his next shot. You know, there was a way in which he was very so fully in that, that something else was happening. And I was, I was thinking about this also in relation to my own teaching. That when, I remember when I first began teaching, I, or I remember first giving public talks, because I, I may look like comfortable in this role, but I'm basically grew up as a shy, introverted kid. And I remember the first time I ever gave a public talk, I was in my 20s. And I was sitting down, and was lucky I was sitting down at a table because my knees were completely shaking. And I was just really nervous, and it was really hard. And even, you know, I can also just see my own development of my best teaching is when I have almost no sense of self, and it's just made more or less flowing, right? And I think you all know that from your work. There's this beautiful sense in which we can, when there's that uh, no self present, our fullness can come through in a, in a very beautiful way. And we can actually help people. Sometimes this comes out when there are times of crisis or difficulty, that sometimes, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh tells stories of how Oftentimes there would be people who, in, during the Vietnam War, would be students and they'd be very preoccupied about this or that, about their own lives. And then they'd be invited to go help people who were suffering. And all of their self-preoccupation just totally went away. And they were just fully present and helping. And sometimes we see that in crisis situations, that just this beautiful sense of acting fully and appropriately in, in the moment is, what's, is, what, is, what is, um, is what happens. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll end by linking that with um, this wonderful account, which I, I don't remember if I, when I last mentioned it, but it's this wonderful, I, I, I may have mentioned it recently, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a really good account. This, this Zen teacher was asked, what is the nature of enlightenment? And you'd expect some very complicated answer, right? Like, enlightenment is the joining of the one in the two without the two knowing the one. <laughs> or enlightenment is, uh, is the totality interfusing in all ways. Or enlightenment is the brightness of spirit going beyond all boundaries or something like that. You might imagine some answer like that, but he said, what is enlightenment? He said, enlightenment is an appropriate response. It's an it's a appropriate, appropriate response in the moment, just in a very ordinary way. We can see that. And we can connect it with what Dogen was saying, 
that it's this quality of being able to act with fullness or to encounter another person with fullness. And as the fruit of practice, it may have um, very little or none of that sense of self or I want this or I got to have this or I'm self-conscious about this. And that's the fruit of our practice. And that's, I think, really what Dogen was talking about when he says to do this practice is to study the self. That's the first part. We really have to study really closely all the places we get fixated, we want this, we don't want this, all of our habits, all of our patterns. And as we do that, secondly, we study the self and we start to go beyond the self in certain ways. Mindfulness, in a way, takes us beyond the self when it's, when it's present. Loving kindness, in a sense, can take us beyond the self. Opening the qualities of the heart and of wisdom. And so secondly, we start to develop these other resources which complement the mindfulness, the seeing of the patterns. And that start to take us to a place where we actually more and more forget the self. And then thirdly, as we do that, I would say, we are more and more ourselves, and we are more and more capable of encountering other human beings, other beings, and the world as a whole, and responding appropriately. So I hope that that helps. That was my way of talking about self and not self, in a way which maybe is a little more, hopefully, a little more down to earth and rooted in experience and not so much focusing on the conceptual, but still in a way pointing in that direction. That's my hope. And so may, you, may we all study the self deeply. May we all forget the self profoundly. <laughs> and may we be enlightened by the 10,000 things. Thank you. Please, yeah. I can, yeah. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. Yeah, that's, that's a deep one, isn't it? It's really pointing to how we get formed. We get formed by other people in their images get formed by the society as well. All the constructions of gender and race and ethnicity and class and sexual orientation, it's like we're getting something imposed on us. And part of this work is to really um, see through that. So it's not just a personal work, it's also a collective. Because a lot of, the, a lot of, those, um, a lot of those forces to make us be a certain way you know, come from the larger society. It's this very, it's this very heroic uh, journey, isn't it, to just be authentic and to work through the constructions of the self. It's a very, it's a very challenging journey, but it's one I think which we're, I think all of us are here because we resonate in some way with that. Please. Yeah. That sounds very opposite to Western concept of strong individual success yeah. acquisition. Yeah. It really is kind of counter to all of that. Yeah. Um, to say a little more about that, that it seems like you're saying that you know the conditioned self yeah. is this thing that we are so important. Yeah. At least here from a Western standpoint, we're so important, yeah. we can achieve, and to our achievement you have to be so smart, 
you know, acquire things and become more powerful. Yeah. All that is about this conditioned self. Yeah. So this is, it, this is a path yeah. out of that. It's a path seeing it. And there, you know, it's, just, it's not to say there can be certain virtues from that sense of self. There, or there can be certain qualities. There may be hard work connected with it or the ability to really persevere or develop will. So it's not, it's not just to be everything to be tossed. I don't think that's... But it's to really see the limiting qualities. If, if my sense of self is dependent on me being, let's say, king of the mountain, and other people being devalued, that's very, very limiting. Or on, if it's dependent on me being in control of everything, which often the model you're pointing to is connected a lot with control and domination, that's very problematic. But there can be, I think, these, these other qualities, which even with, even with that condition notion, can, there can be some very positive things developed as well. Does, does that make some sense? So I think we have to be a little careful about just simply saying everything in the conditioned notion of self is not helpful. It's, it's more being, I, th- I think, discriminating. Yeah. Do you know that I think uh, was it were people thinking of times when you've just been totally involved in activity or something that's really dear to you and with very little sense of self? How many people could relate to that? Yeah. So those are those are really important experiences. Would anyone like to name some of your experiences like that and what's it like? What's it like from the inside? Painting. Yeah. Yeah. Can you say more? Well, when I'm painting a picture I don't exist. Yeah. It's just a picture. Did everyone hear? When I paint a picture, I don't exist. It's a Buddhist painter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's some some freeing of your energy just to be totally with the materials, the phenomena, and just have your full gifts be present. Right? Yeah. And it's glorious. <laughs> but it's not about me. Yeah. Not yeah. related to painting. Um, what is your interpretation of the ten thousand things in mm-hmm. the quote from mm-hmm. Bill Dwyer? It's it's a it's a way that's more almost formulaic in Chinese tradition, as I understand it, of of talking about the all the the variety uh, um, of both good things and difficult things, and it's it's kind of a, a formula for talking for just talking about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's talked about as the 10,000 joys and sorrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. I had experience when, when writing of both feeling uh, intensively myself. For instance, when I'm writing an essay or something like that, where I feel to know myself, I need to write. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the other hand, in, in sometimes in writing fiction or poetry, I feel like I'm outside myself. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that we're bringing up the creative process because it also is a good segue uh, into next time when we focus on beauty. And I actually had some notes about beauty that I was going to bring up, and I think I'll just say them right now, that in a way, 
what beauty sometimes does is it takes us out of ourself. Like when we encounter the beautiful, it, sometimes it's so strong that we just, uh, just have a kind of awe and amazement with beauty. So beauty can have that very powerful function. I think that's why art is this vehicle for um, having us so immersed in the beauty or the, the work that we don't have that sense of self. And then, of course, often when we do have a sense of self, it's, it can be a block. So a lot of writer's block can be about the sense of self getting in the way. Where I was thinking my brother is a musician, uh, and when he plays in a band, uh, and they're just flowing, anytime anyone's at all self-conscious, oh, that was really cool, what we just did, the moment's kind of destroyed, right? So it's, it's really interesting. You have to, as a musician, they have to be totally with the flow. And if they make some comments about how great the flow was, they lose the flow. Right? So it's very, so the creative process and then this encounter with beauty is a very uh, intense way of exploring this. And I hope that we'll uh, explore that more in a more focused way next, next week. Yeah. Please. Yeah. And it feels like I'm just sort of emanating out of my eyes. Yeah. I'm just there. Yeah. And that, yeah, so, so what we could call an authentic encounter with another, the people that we're most comfortable with. It might be, I mean, I, I experienced this with, uh, with um, clients. Yeah. You know, where yeah. Yeah. You're there in your fullness yeah. and you're, um, you're not self-conscious right. and you're just able to do what needs to be done right. almost effortlessly, right? right? And that's a, it's like, and that is glorious. It's, it's, a I just like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's what we live for in a way, isn't it? Yeah. And that it can, it can come about in, these, in, in work and in our... I was thinking at first when you were speaking about um, the people who are closest to us, in a way, are the people that w- they accept all of what's there in us. And so, in a way, we don't have to defend or say, oh my gosh, if I show this side of myself, I'm not sure how it's going to go. Which we often have to do in other contexts, right? right? In work or in certain kinds of ways that we are with others. And so, um, some of this quality, also, I think, comes out also in friendships and people we love up and as well as in work situations. So that's why, in a way, we can use all of these uh, situations as places to practice. We can be in those situations and we notice some self coming up and we just, oh, there's some self. Just notice it and then we can maybe let it go and move on or maybe we have to look at it more. Please. Yeah. Um, the way he painted the you know, like the A's and A's of the painting, how he painted, he did like a dance movement. It was after he was filmed in the latter part of his life that he stopped painting. Hmm. It was almost as if he became so self conscious mm-hmm. and he he could he couldn't paint anymore after that. I don't know if that was the reason. Hmm. That's what I had thought when 
maybe a connection. Huh? It, would, it would make some sense of, of bringing consciousness and filming to something which was just the way he did it. Not a big deal. And, yeah, that would be sad if that's the case. Yeah, but understandable. Yeah. It, it kind of fits with what you were saying about the ball game, that as soon as somebody yeah. caught him in his act of dumbness, it was over. It was over, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Does that point what you Please, yeah. Just real quickly, uh, my experience of that, I did a lot of trail running up in the, the hills yeah. as we were training for the Dipsy. And, but there was one day I was just following a partner of mine and just having, just in the zone, like yeah. flowing, yeah. running downhill, which I love to do. I just shouted out, this is a blast. And the next minute, I tripped. I just lost the impression. That's a great story. <laughs> Not a fun, but it's, but you learn something. You learn something about better, better be careful what I say next time. <laughs> or, yeah. Not being in my head about it. Yeah. Or maybe with mindfulness, we could feel the impulse to maybe say it's a blast. We could just feel that and say, maybe not, maybe I won't go there this time. Yeah, but that's, so it's a great, thank you so much. Please. Uh, you know, when I was thinking about it, I think where, where it shows up most for me is when I'm rock climbing. Yeah. When I think about it, I think it's why I love to rock climb. And I'll get to a point when I'm leading where yeah. I'm very scared for my own safety, and then I push through that, and then I'll be at the top of the route, and I won't remember anything. Yeah. And uh, I've kind of let it all go. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful, and I want to I want to focus on what you said that you had to you had to work through that sense of fear or work with that. And I want to bring us back to we're focusing now on the third of three steps, <laughs> and I re- want to remember that it takes the first two to, to help us get there. That we have to really we have to really do this study what Dogen called the study of the self. We have to really look at our habits and patterns. We can't just demand. You will have this completely wonderful experience of flow in everything you do. Um, maybe we can go there some, but it's 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 a it's actually the fruit of some maturity. And I was thinking of um, this study, which uh, was done by a person at Berkeley, Hubert Dreyfus, and his brother. It was a study of experts in a variety of areas, and they found that people who are experts, it might be an expert uh, carpenter or an expert musician or an expert um, teacher, that uh, they found that there was a whole sequence of steps to get to be an expert. And they, they basically identified as having five phases. And in the first phase, the expert had to go through all the learning. You know, if a musician had to do the scales, had to, had to do... An athlete has to do the practice. You know, you have to learn your basic skills of rock climbing. And you have to do that. And then as you progress through the sequence, that what characterized the expert at the highest level of maturity was that everything was uh, pretty what formerly had been an, uh, an effort involved consciousness and practice was now intuitive. And that the person had integrated the skills, the abilities and was acting in a highly intuitive and skilled way without self-consciousness and without needing to remember the rules that previously the person had to learn. And so what I'm partly saying is that we have to remember that there is the learning process that's really crucial. In in this case, it would be the mindfulness about really studying the self, studying all the 
structures of self, the assumptions, the self-images and so forth, if we don't do that, it's much harder. We can have momentary experiences in which we have that sense of flow. But if we keep on studying the self more and more, then I think that those experiences of flow get to be more and more, and they get to be more and more stabilized. But it takes that process of, it's hard work, actually. You know, and, and they're difficult moments. Please, Naomi. Um, there's also, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, when you're not thinking about, you're not in the self. Yeah. So there's a lot of ordinary times during the day. That's right. That, that you're not, you haven't constructed the self. Yeah. You're just going about your business. Yeah. You're just doing what you're doing, and you're not, you haven't, you haven't brought up the self. Yeah. And it's usually when you start thinking about yeah. um, that you reconstruct the self. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think. Right. So it's helpful to, you're, you're really pointing to both the quality of thinking in, you know, um, taking us out of the flow. And I would say also it's, it almost becomes, it's really, I think it's also important to, to point to the way in which a lot of the times what takes us out of the flow is basically something either that we think is good or bad. <laughs> something difficult happens and we, you know, maybe we blame ourselves or we blame another person or something good happens and we want to fixate on it. And so the actual place where we practice is to see how those patterns of thinking come up in the context of um, either something very that we really want or something that we don't want that we want to push away. And that's, where, that's sort of where the action is. Mm-hmm. It's really to study those and to study how the self comes up around, in Buddhist language we would say it comes up around the pleasant or the unpleasant, especially. And that's where we can really um, do our work and examine. So this is, in a way, tying it to last time where we could say oh, this really important work occurs as we study how we work with that which takes us away from mindfulness. You know, whether it's this wanting or the pushing away or um, sleepiness, restlessness, or doubt. That we, that, that's an important part of the practice. And as we do that more and more, then we get into this wonderful state of flow and fullness and lack of self-consciousness. Um, And it's wonderful. And I think, I think uh, er, and what's beautiful also is we all have reference points. We all know that. We know what that's like in our body, and we can, we can uh, go there and know that it's really important to go there. So, okay, last, uh, last comment, then I'll have to close because of time. Yeah. Well, I've been taking care of my grandson a couple yeah. of days a week for the last two years. And the first year and a half, Totally this idyllic experience yeah. of losing a sense of losing yeah. my sense of self. Yeah. And particularly since he's turned two and becomes a real different experience. Yes, his his sense of self is connected with your sense of self. <laughs> What's beautiful is, is that it's also the case that there's some way that both of you have the memory of that quality of the child. It's actually, I had some in my notes I was going to bring, because there's something about 
the child, which also connects with this sense of flow. And sort of, there's a whole area where we could explore this uh, reconnecting with our own child, as it were, the, the beautiful qualities. And I think also partly the, the difficult work is to go into the territory where there's also a scared child in us, mm-hmm. you know, scared and confused child. And so it's a whole, maybe we can have a whole focus on that another time, but it's, it's really a huge area. And being with children brings, brings it out in certain ways. And so he will have the memory of that flow, and you will have that. But now you're, as it were, being asked to, can I move towards that with a more complex <laughs> being? <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, that's and you'll give us a report in, uh, on a yearly basis or something. <laughs> so, uh, good, well, I'm... I'm I'm um, I'm delighted with this theme. I wasn't sure what I would talk about, but I, I, I um, I'm delighted. I, I love the sense of the flow and moving towards that and seeing what the path is to get there. And I'd love if we can connect us some when we explore uh, beauty more next time. Mm-hmm. That would be really to maybe we can bring in what's been helpful from today, and I'll I'll bring some of this in when I talk with Ruth tomorrow and we kind of plan what we're going to do. So. Let's just sit for a minute to finish. And inviting what was helpful from the morning, possibly related to a theme, but possibly also something else may have come up that was really important for you that's maybe indirectly connected. So letting be present any insights or understandings, and then let any intentions which come out of the morning also be present. So I'll end with this quotation from the great Zen teacher Dogen from the, from the 13th century. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. May all that has been helpful from the morning be dedicated to the well-being of all. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.